Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Chapter 21 of Luke's Gospel, if you turn there as we finish the chapter, and again to remind you of where we are in the Gospel of Luke, this is the last message that Jesus is going to deliver before he's arrested, betrayed, before the cross. These are the final words to the chief of his disciples, to Peter, James, and John, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and this is the remaining portion recorded here in Luke's Gospel of what we call the Olivet Discourse. Jesus speaks of the very last days, the end of the age of grace, and he speaks of his coming again. I think one of the problems that we face right now in our world is a lack of understanding that this world has never been the answer to what ails mankind. This world is actually a place that we dwell for a temporary period of time. Uh, It is a place that ultimately the Lord says he's going to remake, he's going to uh, change in the moment in a twinkling of an eye, and in fact he is going to come back, and not to redeem America, or not to create a global government, or any of those types of things, but to deal with in finality the problem of man's sin. It's rebellion against God. And so eschatology, the study of the things of the last days, is very important to our understanding of the days and times in which we live. Because if you don't have a proper eschatology, then you might be tempted to think that we can bring the kingdom to earth right now, today. And Jesus is going to address that next. But Jesus is going to now instruct us in these events that lead towards uh, his second coming. And so would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up here in verse 25 uh, in Luke chapter 21. Father, we thank you for the glorious privilege of studying your word. We ask, Lord, that you would move by your spirit in this place and that you would use this time to speak to and encourage us as your people in the days in which we live. There's never been a more important time to understand the last days than now. And so we ask you to make our hearts alive to your instruction. We ask this in Jesus' name. God's people all said, Amen. Verse 25, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars. Interesting that we just landed another rover on Mars. Amen? I don't know if you got to watch the descent of this rover, which is pretty good size. It's about the small, size of a small SUV. And it's now driving around on the, on the planet Mars. And the whole hope is to, to look for the signs of life. Some form of microbiologic life, specifically, that might indicate a precursor to life having existed on that planet. Interestingly enough, from God's perspective, the answer is 
he is going to remake the entire solar system that we live in one day. And that includes Mars and Earth, all the rest of the planets, the sun itself. And so Jesus instructs us here, and in the stars, there's the entire universe. Because we look up at the heavens, most of what we see as stars are actually not stars at all. A vast majority of the larger ones are actually galaxies. They're homes to billions of stars, hundreds of billions, trillions of planets, exoplanets. So this is instructive to us because mankind seems to want to put its hope and trust in all kinds of things except the Lord. Legal systems, forms of government, science, technology. And while all these things have a place and they are important, the final word is always God's word. The final word is always God's word. And on the earth, the stress of nations... With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring and men's hearts failing them for the fear of the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now remember as Jesus speaks these things, you can imagine the disciples living in a time some 2,000 years ago having almost zero understanding of, of the universe as we know it today. No idea the size, the scope, no way to understand the solar system even that we dwell in. We've been to the moon. We know what's up there. For them, that was the extent of their knowledge. They could look up in the night sky and maybe see a few stars in the moon, and that was pretty much it. Like it or not, believe it or not, Jesus is coming again. He's coming back. Amen? So all this knowledge, while it's good, I, I, happen to, I happen to enjoy the study of science. I happen to think it's actually essential for Christians to be well-informed. I don't think we should be ignorant. I think we should be brilliant. As smart as we can possibly be, I think we should know the things that go on in our world. But our hope and our trust is not in those things. They're merely instructive, informative. They, they help us to understand the world that we dwell in. But God is saying, I'm going to transform this world when I come again, as Jesus comes for his church. Joel chapter 2 gives us a picture of these days, if you want to turn there. Joel 2, speaking of this time when Jesus will come, when these things will happen Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, of clouds and thick darkness. And it goes on to say in verse 3, And fire devours before them, behind them a flame that burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape. Our hope and our trust is not in saving this planet. As noble a goal as it is to clean up the rivers that we get our water from, to make sure that the air is as clean as we can possibly make it as we breathe it, those things are all good things. But they are not the answer. 
The answer is redemption. The answer is salvation. The answer is faith one by one as people give their life to Jesus. That secures eternity. Those things will actually alter the trajectory of the people on this planet. Joel chapter 3 goes on to tell us the reason for this calamity that will one day come that we call the tribulation. Verse 1 of chapter 3, For behold, in those days and at that time, I will bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. You see, Judah and Jerusalem, if you're with us as we study through Isaiah's prophecies, we get towards the end. Judah is the remaining tribe, if you will. It's Judah and Benjamin. They're in the south. Ten of the twelve tribes have already been taken captive. They, in essence, by and large, don't exist anymore. As tribes, they don't exist anymore. Assyria took care of them. So what's left is the Babylonian captivity. I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That valley is an interesting valley. It actually is the beginning of this valley that will extend up into the Jezreel Valley and all the way around to Haifa. It goes from Jerusalem nearly to the coast of the Mediterranean The Bible says in the very last days, the Lord is actually going to gather together all of the nations of the earth because they will have come against Israel. They will have plotted war against this tiny little nation that as we sit in our pews today, as we stand here today, is a scant nine million people in the entire country. That's one quarter of the size of the state of California. The nation itself is one-third the size of San Bernardino County. This tiny little nation will become the focus of the entirety of God's dealing with the earth in the very last days. And so we should be looking at Israel as part of the key, if not the key, the clock, if you will, as to when these days might possibly come. I will gather together all nations and bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat and enter into judgment there with them. And here's why. On account of my people, my heritage, Israel. If you ever wanted to know why in the last days the battle of Armageddon is actually going to be fought and what's going to happen in those final terrible moments as the Lord comes and fights this incredible battle himself, it's because of Israel. National Israel is the focus of the last days. Why is that important? Because it's not America. It's not the UN. It's not the world court. It isn't globalism. It's one tiny nation that still contains his chosen people, Israel. Israel will be the focus In the very last days. That's the primary reason that the Lord returns. Whom they have scattered among the nations. Divided up my land. The land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is God's land. And he gave it to national Israel. To his people. As an inheritance. And the more the land gets divided up. And the more the Jewish people are oppressed, 
you might want to start looking towards heaven. Because the day of the Lord draws closer and closer and closer. And they have cast lots, verse 3 says, For my people have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. In other words, as the world comes against Israel, God is finally going to send Jesus back to accomplish his final step in his plan of redemption. And that is the wholesale salvation of the Jewish people. Jesus speaks to that issue. And so he says some significant signs are going to come. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Rome there in chapter 11, said all Israel one day would be saved. Jesus is basically telling us, here's what to look for when that's about to happen. Here's what's going to be going on. In other words, let the world beware, if you will. Matthew's gospel records some additional details as I shared with you last week. The sun's going to be blotted out. The stars in the sky are going to take on different forms and functions. As we sit here, we're like, well, that can't happen. What's God going to do? Change gravity? Well, he created gravity in the first place. I'm pretty sure he can change it if he wants to. If you believe he's creator God and he put the stars in the sky in the first place, if he created the galaxies, then he can do whatever he wants with them. And in fact, the study of astrophysics as it currently exists in our world today, we've had to come up with a bunch of missing mass to explain the balance of the universe. Dark matter, dark energy, things that we can't see. We can't see it. We can't even describe it. We know it's there because there's a finely tuned universe that sits in front of us that when we look at it, something is holding it together. The book of Colossians actually attributes that to King Jesus. That in him all things consist and are held together. That he's what holds the universe together. So when he decides to take his hands off of it, even for a nanosecond, these things could begin to occur. And so there's perplexity. In other words, they won't be able to figure out exactly what's going on. And this extends, really, as you look at your Bible, into the issues of morality, into the issues of government, into all things, because man currently is on a path to become fully secularized and fully humanist. In other words, man sits at the center of the universe. We now can't even tell the difference between men and women. I thought that was fairly simple. But we can't do that anymore. We have to redefine genders. We now have to have laws to where men can participate in women's sports. I'm telling you, God ain't buying it. In the beginning, he made them male and female. Amen? The the moral bankruptcy in our world, especially in our country, is staggering. It's mind-boggling. We're attempting to rewrite, in essence, humanity's story. And we're trying to put man in the center of it. And man doesn't belong in the center of it. God belongs in the center of it. And so Jesus is saying, look, here's what's going to happen. 
And so this warfare that appears here, and Matthew's gospel expounds on it, you can look at that, Matthew 24 and 25, extends into what we call space. Kind of odd that our past president, President Trump, created the space force, didn't he? Now, whether you think that's a joke or whether you think that's real, your Bible actually seems to indicate that in the very last days, there's going to be warfare not just here on earth, but in space. Hmm. China is currently circling Mars as well, about to drop a rover on the surface of the red planet. We have a treaty to keep all nations from weaponizing space, but do you think for a moment that there aren't some weapons already up there? If you do, you're silly. The world is a precarious place. That's why we're not to hope and trust in this world. Because it's going to get more and more precarious as the day of the Lord's return comes. And he's coming back as the shining sun. Now, I don't know about you, but frankly, if the Lord wanted to return for his church today, I would be perfectly okay with that. Amen? But I know why he hasn't. Let me tell you why he hasn't. He loves people. He loves lost people who are not yet found. And so he's charged us with preaching the gospel and teaching the word until he comes for his church. And so we have a job to do in that sense. Verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Not Greg Laurie, but great glory. (laughs) Greg uses that himself, so I figured I'd steal it from him. You might remember that when Jesus left this earth, he left in a cloud, didn't he? When his work on earth was done, you can find that in Acts chapter 1. When he comes back for the church at the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, he's going to come in a cloud, but he's not coming all the way back to earth. We're going to meet him in the heavens, separate from this event that Jesus is talking about. That's because he's going to pour out his wrath. The world's going to come unhinged. But he's promised to not pour that wrath out upon his bride, upon his church, upon the beloved. And so it makes every bit of sense that he would save us from that. He'd rapture us off the planet. But he is going to come back. And when he comes back, it's not going to be good. You don't want to be here for that. Because he's coming back to make war on sin. It's interesting, as the scrolls are unleashed in heaven, as the book of Revelation unfolds the story, there's a question that is asked. Who is worthy to unleash the scrolls? The worthy one is the lion of the tribe of Judah who has prevailed. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back as the lion. He came as the son of man. He came as the son of God. He came as the lamb who would take away the sin of the world. But when he comes again, he's coming as a roaring lion. And he's telling the disciples this. This title that he uses for himself. It's actually used some 80 times in the New Testament. 
He, he speaks of that as his own identifying characteristic while he's with the disciples on earth. He says, look, the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. But the last reference is this one in Revelation 14. Behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat who was like the Son of Man, having his head on it a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And he's coming back to reap. I know some of you are going, I don't want to hear this on Sunday. Pastor Jeff, I came to hear something fluffy. Can't you tell me something nice? Yeah, I can. You can escape that day by knowing Jesus personally. You don't even have to worry about it in that sense. That's why he gives us this information in the first place, is so you won't be here when it happens. But that choice is yours. This same Jesus, Acts chapter 1 says, will come again. But in all of his power, in all of his might, in all of his glory, no one is laying a hand on King Jesus next time. He did that one time, and that one time was for our salvation. That is not happening the second time. He's coming back to rule and reign. Verse 28. Here's this seriously supernatural sermon. And now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads, because your redemption draws near. Who is he talking to? Jewish men. On the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, about the Jewish people. And he spoke a parable to them. And here's how we can identify this. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. Fig tree is indicative of Jerusalem, it is throughout Scripture, and all the trees is all the rest of the people. When they're already budding, you see and you know for yourselves that summer is now near. So, you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. The actual, literal kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away until all things take place. And here's how I can tell you categorically, authoritatively, that no one can save this planet permanently. It's not possible because Jesus said, you can't. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. In other words, the person whose life is not redeemed, not turned towards the Lord, does those things which Romans chapter 1 says an unredeemed person does. They live a life that is a life of the flesh. And that person needs to be seriously aware that when the Lord comes, you have zero assurance that you're one of God's kids if you're doing the very thing that God says he's redeemed you from. So he says, make sure that your words and your deeds match up. Verse 
for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of, check this out, the whole earth. One of the things that troubles me right now in the church in America is our absolutely obsessive focus on what our rights are as the church in America. That is both arrogant and foolish because the Bible is not written to the church in America. The Bible is written as the revelation of who God is to the entire earth. And the church in America needs to broaden its view a little bit and start looking at the rest of the planet because God cares about everyone everywhere and Jesus says so. It's not just about us. It's not about our freedoms. It's not about mask wearing or not mask wearing. It's about who is king and who is Lord for the whole world. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say, go into America and preach the gospel. And again, I love our country. No place I'd rather be. Patriot in my heart. I love America. But America is not the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. We need to be careful, church. Because there are some in this country that are preaching a message that is nothing more than uber-patriotism. It's not preaching Christ. It's preaching conservatism and a whole bunch of other things. Jesus saves. America does not save. We've got to get that part right. Should we try and preserve our way of life because it is the best that there is? Yes, of course but not at the cost of the gospel and not at the cost of God's word. Not at the diminishing of who Jesus is for the sake of political alignment or a free market economy. Those things were foreign to Jesus. We need to be careful. Those who dwell on the face of the whole earth Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Yikes. That doesn't sound like that's just an American issue, does it? That sounds like a Jesus issue because Jesus is coming again. To look up, this phrase in the Greek language means to look with outstretched neck. In other words, to crane your neck like you're at an event and you want to get the best view and you're looking around. You know, it's like when you get told that your unit that you've rented for your vacation is oceanfront. And you get there and you have to go in the bathroom and open up that little window and you kind of stretch your neck out. It's like, I think I see it over there. It's like that. It's like doing everything you can to see the king. To look up and say, my Jesus is coming again. Where is he? Can't wait to see him. We need to be careful. Because the Bible says this world is going to come unhinged in the last days. And again, not that we should dismiss the wonderful freedoms that we have in this country. We shouldn't. We should consider ourselves blessed beyond anybody else on the planet. But our hope 
and our trust is in the eternal king of kings, the eternal lord of lords. It's not in a system of government. Jesus makes that point. This is the last message to the disciples before he's executed. You think there might be some reason that he told them these things right before he's killed? Why do you suppose that is? Because earth's final countdown began then. We've been heading towards the Lord's return since he left the first time. And every day it gets closer and closer and closer. There are days sometimes I just look up at the heavens and say, Lord, could today be the day? Seriously. It's like, Lord, are you coming? And I happen to be one of those people that actually enjoys life. You know, when I got a trout rod in my hand and I'm up in June Lake fishing, I'm like, you know, it's like, okay, well, you can wait today. Come back tomorrow. So I think I was a 10-pounder that I just think I hooked. I don't know. Now, we all have those days. I'm not suggesting that you're not human and shouldn't enjoy life, but I am saying your focus should be on eternal things. Enjoy your vacation, but look forward to the return of the king. You can do both. And so Jesus speaks of this fig tree, which is national Israel. He speaks of all the trees. Remember the first time that we met a fig tree? It was in the garden, wasn't it? What was it used for? To cover the shame of Adam and Eve. It's interesting that the Lord assigns this picture to his own chosen people. He says that this fig tree is barren. I wanted it to produce fruit. And now he tells him a parable. In Matthew's gospel, you can read it. Now learn this parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, and this is verses 32 to 35 of Matthew 24, and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. And also when you see all things, know that it's near at the door. For assuredly, I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place and the heaven and the earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. This is the exact same thing that Matthew records. He's saying, look, I've got a plan. These things are going to happen. He's speaking as, as though this is a foregone conclusion. He's not saying, well, it might happen. He's saying it will happen. Do you have that same confidence? Are you today looking at your life and saying, Lord, I believe you're coming again. Are you using your days as though you believe the Lord is coming again? I think a lot of people are kind of just, you know, doing whatever. That's not meant to insult anyone. It's just simply to inform us. Jesus is coming Again. And he's not coming to, you know, in response to global nationalism. You know, somehow we can redeem all of society. That church is actually the Antichrist's plan. The Antichrist's plan is to try and redeem this earth. 
to try and bring everybody together under the guise of a single world government and a single world religion and a single world monetary system. That is actually the devil's plan, if you want to look at it that way. That's what he's going to do. That's not Jesus. Jesus' plan is to save souls, to redeem people's hearts. He wants them to know him personally. I had an interesting conversation with a guy last Wednesday, and he was talking about you know, capitalism and all these things. And I said, can you point me to one verse in the entire Bible where Jesus talks about capitalism? You know, strangely enough, by Friday, he still hadn't found one. Because they're not there. They don't exist. Matter of fact, if you want to look at it, Jesus was a tad bit of a socialist. He said, if you have two, give them to your brother, right? Now, I'm not trying to make a case here for one versus the other, but to simply say, be careful what you hang on Jesus. Because Jesus was not a capitalist. And in fact, he said you need to take care of the poor. So see, sometimes we get hung up in trying to blend things that you can't blend together. Let's keep Jesus, Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, this is, a, this is an issue of the last days. A word of caution is in order as we read these words. Jesus says this generation will not pass away. What's he getting at? Well, he's talking about the fig tree, which is Israel. At the time Jesus spoke these words, Israel was about to go completely out of the land. They had actually been out of the land under the Babylonian captivity since about 560 BC. They had come back in briefly and had prospered a little bit in their time in the land. But by and large, there were 400 years of God not speaking to children of Israel, and then 100 years right before Jesus comes, then Jesus comes, and from that time till May 14th of 1948, there were no Jewish people in a Jewish land speaking Hebrew. There were Bedouins in an area that was largely desert and swamp. It wasn't desert, it was swamp. The northern reaches of the Jordan River Valley, if you go there today, the reason they planted all those sycamore trees was to soak up all the swamp areas so they could turn it into farmland. Israel today did not exist, didn't even begin to exist until 1948. And so Jesus says, look, there's going to be a group of people that are going to witness the rebirth of Israel, and then the king will come. So I personally believe until Israel went back into the land, the Lord was basically saying, here's one of the things you need to look for, the rebirth of the nation. Church, that's happened. Israel is back in the land. But does that mean that we have the exact date that the Lord's going to rapture the church? No, it doesn't. Matthew 24, verse 36 says this, but of that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he goes on to tell us exactly what it'll look like. But as the days of Noah were, so it shall be when the coming of the Son of Man is. 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also it shall be when the Son of Man comes. In other words, that generation could be alive today because Israel is back in the land and the timing is not given to us with perfection, but it says in a general sense, when the world is more concerned about itself than it is about the Lord, when the conditions of the earth are like they were in the days of Noah, as we already saw, and the days of Sodom, then the Lord will come. Kind of might mean we ought to start looking up, don't you think? And again, not predictive in an exact sense. It's a secret date to us here on earth. God the Father knows it. But I think we might be closer than we've ever been. The date of the second coming, however, is actually known to us because the Bible actually tells us when that is. And I want to strongly encourage you. We have on our website the entire book of Daniel, the entire book of Revelation. You can look at those studies and you can realize that actually we're told that once the battle of Armageddon comes, once the Antichrist rises, then three and a half years later, Jesus is coming. So here's the good news. That hasn't happened yet. So Jesus isn't coming back just yet. But, why is this of value to us? Because it gets us ready. It helps us to focus on what truly matters. We ought to be, in that sense, rapture ready. That's why, take heed That you not be busy partying, basically, Jesus says. That you're not overly concerned with the things of this earth, but rather your eyes are focused on heaven. John's gospel actually records it in a different way. You see, the tribulation is coming. The Antichrist is going to rise. There are things going to happen in the last days. And prior to that, the church is going to be taken away. You want to be in that group. You want to go home to heaven. You want to come back with Jesus. You don't want to be here when he comes back. The Bible is actually quite clear on this. That the host of heaven will return with King Jesus to fight the battle of Armageddon. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather be with Jesus on his side than have to stand against him. So I'm putting my hope and my trust and my faith in Jesus. I'm resting in him. What is the use of this information? It causes us to get ready. I've had so many people, well, you know, I don't want to take the vaccine. It's the mark of the beast. It is not the mark of the beast. Unless you think the Antichrist is alive already. Not the mark of the beast. You're going to take the mark of the beast willingly so that you can worship him. No Christian will do that. People who don't know Jesus will do that. Furthermore, RNA cannot and does not interact with your DNA. 
It only instructs your body on how to make certain proteins. You see, we get all hung up on these conspiracy theories and we forget the truth. The truth is, the church is going to be snatched away by force. We're going to spend some time in heaven. And then we're coming back with King Jesus. Amen? That's why Luke tells us, Therefore, always watch and pray that you might be counted worthy to escape these things. How are you going to escape? Well, if you're alive when Jesus raptures the church, you're going to heaven. And if you've given your life to Christ during the tribulation, you're going to be a tribulation saint also. You're good in Jesus. You see, the answer is Jesus. It's not free market enterprise. It's not the things that we hold dear. It's abiding in the vine. I encourage you, and I won't read it right now. But John chapter 15 tells us what we ought to be doing. Abide in him. Abide in him. Dwell in him. Live in him. By this, Jesus says in that passage, Is my Father glorified if we bear much fruit? Therefore you are my disciples. Notice it doesn't say, if you make more money. If you end up with a bigger house. If we have all kinds of freedoms and we can do whatever we want. Can I just tell you that a lot of what we've done with our freedoms in this country aren't good? Think about it. We've got more people living together than are married now. That's part of our freedoms. Murder untold babies, part of our freedoms. People live in poverty, part of our freedoms. Racial injustice, part of our freedoms, hasn't it? Part of the reason we have some of those things is because of our freedoms. We use freedoms wrongly. That's why Jesus never focused on freedoms. He focused on responsibility. What is our responsibility as the church. Our responsibility is this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and oh, by the way, your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Absolutely everybody. Hmm. That's abiding. Jesus created the whole world. He didn't just create a country. I think we need to remember that. Why? Because he is coming again. And what Jesus is effectively saying in this passage is the countdown to Calvary has started. He's on his way to the cross. He's going to finish up what he came to do. And then there's going to be an age of grace, which we now live in, by the way to where you can give your life to Jesus. You can be saved. And you can abide in the vine. Why is that important? 
as we think of the cross which is coming, the lamb died one time and he died once and for all for all. He's not going to die again. He said to Telestai, it is finished. There's nothing left to do from heaven's perspective. The only thing that's left is for us to receive it and believe it. Walk with him. Talk with him. Live for him. Abide in him. That's our goal. It's what we've been called to do. It's why we're still here. We have this glorious blessing of joining Jesus in his redemptive plan for all of mankind to share the good news that Christ died for the ungodly. And if we'll believe in him, we'll be saved from all this stuff. You don't even have to worry about it. You can just go about your business of being a little bit like Jesus in this world until he comes and gets you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that you've reminded us what it'll look like right before you come get your church. And Lord, we truly believe that that is far nearer today than it's ever been. And so, Lord, we turn our attention to eternal things, to being people who abide in the vine, who are growing in Christ, who live our lives for you, who represent you, Lord, who live in a way that honors the sacrifice that was made for us. And so, God, we give you afresh our lives for your purpose and plans. Lord, help us to bear much fruit in these days, which surely are closer to the last ones than they are to the first ones. So, God, we thank you for reminding us that this world has a date stamp. And we are getting close to that time when you call the church home. Help us to live that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.